Welcome to Athletes and Entrepreneurs, the Alumni Journey. I'm Rob Finkelstein, founder and CEO of Alumni Direct, where we set out a platform to help alumni to network and connect through their affinity relationships, whether it's college alumni, business alumni associations, or athletes. And we've created this show, Athletes and Entrepreneurs, the Alumni Journey, to teach and inspire athletes that there is life after sports. It is a major issue between financial literacy and mental health challenges, and we want to help make a difference. And today, we're really excited to have uh, Corey Camp on with us. Corey, how are you doing today? Rob, thanks for having me. Always excited to jam with a fellow Blue Hen here. So I'm excited. I'm feeling good. That's great. And, I, and, I, and, and as a fellow Blue Hen, you are now, let's see, I've done, um, you are, I think it's either the second or maybe the third Blue Hen that I've had on the show. So we like to have the Blue Hens, everybody out there from good old University of Delaware. So Corey was a, a collegiate swimmer at Delaware, and now he started his, uh, he's got a company. He's the founder and CEO uh, of Forever Athlete. I want to make sure I say it right, because, you know, half the time, like, it was good. Your name's easy, but <laughs> sometimes when you're doing these, you're like, okay, I said it wrong. And he also has a, uh, a show that he hosts uh, for Forever Athlete Radio. Uh, so um, this is, I, I always make it simple. I start out, talk about uh, playing sports growing up and how it shaped your uh, early years leading into college. Yeah. Um, it's funny looking back on it. You would think naturally that I would just be thrown into swimming. My dad swam. Ironically, he swam at Towson, but it was Towson State back in the day. So they weren't quite rivals of us just yet in the CAA, but he swam there. He was a swim coach. He still is a swim coach. And of course he wanted me to swim, but my mom being the the lovely lady she is, and she was like, you know, let's, let's wait until Corey can make a conscious choice to go and do it, go and explore swimming until then. Like, let's just let him be a kid, let him do his thing, try other stuff. That changed one uh, Saturday morning, about a week before Memorial day. When I'm four years old, my dad was the head swim coach at the summer league pool called Aspen Hill. And it's back in the day where we had uh, the paper signups. You weren't going online to register your kids. So my dad had that classic white fold out table. He was set up taking people's emails, swimsuit sizes, all that. And just said, Corey, go play. I'm going to be busy for the next hour or two while the team gets signed up. Just go play. I said, okay, cool. Sounds good. I had the whole pool uh, area at my disposal. Keep in mind, this is a week before the pool actually opens. So the pool, there's water in the pool, but no lifeguards, no no one's swimming. So I'm going to play and like the playground's cool, but quickly I get I get bored of it. And I see this long pole coming out of the, the deep end, the well, the pool. And I go, four-year-old me thinks that's a really fun thing to climb. Let's go climb that. I want to I want to just climb things at that age, I guess. I start to climb it, and it turns out it was the pool vacuum pole. And for those oh, not familiar wow. with it, the bottom of a pool vacuum has wheels because it's meant to roll back and forth on the bottom of the pool and clean it. So as I start to climb this thing, next thing I know, it shifts, and I'm now slowly starting to sink in about 14 feet of water. Wow. Four years old, no idea how to swim. My dad jumps in with all his clothes, swims the length of the pool, and and is able to, to rescue me. The the funny thing about this whole story is like, that was what my dad did. The 18 year old, like lifeguard ran around. My dad was turning to him. I was like, what are you doing, dude? Like you're 18. You can swim so much faster than me. You should have just, <laughs> and the oh, only yeah. thing I remember of this whole story is really sitting in McDonald's in my dad's spare sweatshirt that he had in the car, which is just like <laughs> draped over me like a gown. Cause it's like an XL we're sitting at McDonald's. I'm getting food and I'm warm and I'm happy. I'm like, this is great. My dad's freaking out. He's shivering, dri- dripping cold. Oh, I can imagine. That's scary. Being like, you won't believe what almost just happened to Corey. She goes, I guess it's time to throw him in some swim lessons. Huh? And he was like, low key, very happy that that was yeah. the, the thing that, you know, pushed my mom over to say, yeah, maybe, maybe you should try this. Thankfully, no lasting fear of the pool, no lasting fear of water was in swim lessons the next week, like really took to it, really enjoyed it. Um, I wouldn't say I was a natural at it, but I was I was decent enough. But I, more than anything, just loved the time in the water. And that was a theme that like continued to propel me onwards as my career started to progress. I started to try some other sports, tried baseball for a little bit. And 
it was fun. I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it as much as my time at the pool. Right. And it got to that point where seventh grade came around. It was that pivotal decision of like baseball's turning to kid pitch. Swimming is getting, you know, pretty serious. I've started some morning practices and it's just becoming a lot to juggle, you know, three morning practices a week for swimming and afternoons and baseball practice. I can imagine. My parents were like, what do you want to do? Ironically, I was better at baseball at that time, but because I enjoyed swimming, I just said, feel closer to my friends at swimming. I'm going to, I'm going to go do that. And thankfully that seemed to be the right choice. I don't know. I can't go back and change it at this point. Um, but that was how we ended up like landing on swimming as being a thing. And it wasn't until probably freshman year of high school that like that reality, that dream of wanting to be a D one swimmer to be on scholarship. And then eventually maybe even make an Olympic team started to become a little bit more of reality. That was when I was able to qualify for junior nationals and get some time standards that put me on the radar of some colleges where now it became a legitimate possibility. For the first time I found myself at 14, not last among my friends. I finally was like the number one. And the funny thing part, you know, with time-based sports, as you know, it's like so fleeting. You could have that top fastest time. Oh yeah. And then your friend's going to beat it. But that was kind of what I loved about it. So for at least a few months, I was the fastest of my friends. And it just so happened that the team that I grew up on was one of the fastest in the country. Um, So for me to be the fastest of my friends in my training group was actually a big deal. It meant I was in a top 100 spot in the country in my events. I was like, okay, cool. This is, this is going well. Um, so that was the kind of the origin story, the, sh- the short form version of like 18 years thrown into one. Yeah. Geez. So like, like thinking about that, did you want to be a professional athlete? I mean, just thinking you kind of, I guess, you know, took, you know, chose swimming. So did you want to be that, that Olympic swimmer? A hundred percent. I mean, the, the irony is, is like in, when I was eight years old, my mom still has it somewhere around the house. That's some activity from third grade. And it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I want to be an Olympian in the hundred backstroke. And the the funny part about it is now looking back, like my time in the hundred backstroke, while it was my best event at that time was way off, like 30, 40 seconds off of what would be. And granted I'm eight, but it was so far from a reality at that point to the point where now I look back, I'm like, that's hilarious that I really thought at eight years old with that time, I was going to somehow make, you know, the top two in the nation at some point, but that was the dream. You know, that was what I wanted to do from an early age. It was inspiring. It was, I mean, I grew up watching Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte and Aaron Pearsall and these guys. I'll never forget my dad, Towson did an alumni swim event um, in 04 or 05. So I'm about 10 years old, nine, 10 years old, right after Athens. And they had this signed Michael Phelps picture. And I thought it was the coolest freaking thing in the world that they had this signed Phelps picture. And it was an auction. It's my first 10 years old. I've never experienced what an auction is. So I go to my dad and I go, dad, they have Michael Phelps. Like it's signed, it's autographed, it's real. Can we get it? And he goes, well, Corey, it doesn't really work. Like we just don't pay for it. You know, we got to bid for it. And I was like, that's baloney. No one else here like wants the Phelps thing. I want it. (laughs) And so he's like, here's what we'll do. We'll put $75 down. And if anyone like outbids us, then we'll we'll go up to a hundred. But if anyone bids over a hundred dollars, I'm sorry, but you're not getting this picture okay and so for the next the entire event this is like within the first five minutes of being there the entire event i'm literally just like patrolling the auction silent auction area just (laughs) checking it out every minute did anyone else write their their name down no one else did and we ended up winning the thing for 75 dollars, and it was like all right cool but that was the level of like how much i was just drawn to that allure of what the Phelps of the world were doing and the impact they were making. And that was before he had even did the eight golds in eight years or eight events. You know what I mean? So it was, yeah, that was what really drove, 
drove me and motivated me and inspired me at a, a really early age. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, I, I all the time I joke about, um, you know, what I would have wanted to be. And I always say I want to be a major league baseball player. Uh, didn't have the talent for it. So now I'm doing this kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but so, um, you know, you, you know, obviously, um, I think, you know, swimming and like ice skating, too, it seems I've heard stories just the the preparation. You mentioned the, the early morning practice. I, I got to imagine that would definitely play a big impact in, you know, kind of your drive and your personality. A hundred percent. I mean, what most people don't realize too about my situation in particular, my dad, I love him. He went on this health kick when I was in seventh grade where he started to, he wanted to lose his weight. He had put on a ton of weight post-college swimming himself. And he was like, you know what? It's time to finally lose this. We're going to get back in shape. Well, what that, I was super, super happy for him. But what that meant in reality was this dude wanted to swim before my swim practice. And so we would, for a 4.45 a.m. swim practice, we'd be showing up to the pool at four because he wanted to get 40 minutes of swimming in before then like my training group took over the pool and he wouldn't be able to. And I was like, dad, that's like so nice of you. Like, so I have very fond memories of me and my coach Chris at the time just sitting on the side and I'm like maybe saying three words to Chris for those 45 minutes, wow. just wishing I was still in bed. Um, but I would be there for an extra 45 minutes. But by the time practice started for me, it wasn't like I had just rolled out of bed and and like fell into the pool and started to swim. I was more or less more awake. And that has kind of carried over to this day of like, I I don't like to wake up and just get going. I've always been someone of like, even the earliest of early morning practices, I like 30 minutes before that practice to like eat something very light, like get some movement in, listen to some music, something to wake me up and and get me stimulated, ready to go. It's the same thing now of when I hop into work, it's so easy as a, a running my own business and working out of my house is like my office it's so easy to just roll out of bed, kind of like put on a robe and, and mosey on over here into my office and be like, okay, cool. Time to work. That's great. That's not <laughs> me. <laughs> nice, nice part of being an entrepreneur and owning your own business for sure. So uh, let's, let's go um, fast forward a little bit. So now we're, when you're in college um, in, in a couple of topics, well, a few always come up with from the college space uh, at Delaware, uh, do they have anything in place as far as, uh, curriculum or programs that that help athletes that ultimately as a transition out of sports like as far as classes or things like that yeah they had started a lot of this programming and i, I want to acknowledge like jen judy and a lot of her staff there uh, that are there currently right now we're really heading this initiative towards the later years of my time uh, it almost seems like i think Blue is the program that they call it, the name of the program now, which is like Blue Leadership Program. And it, the way that they have it set up, it's freshmen go through a certain uh, style of programming, sophomores, juniors, seniors. And the idea is like that programming progresses as you go through your your time there. And I think it was just introduced like year one when I got there. And so like any program right when it's year one you're working out the kinks you don't really know how it's going to work so honestly i don't really remember it being super super impactful the tough part too is you know like when you're an athlete when you're in that situation and you get told to go to these other programming things you're like but i got practice i got this i got study hall i have all these other things already what you're putting another thing on my schedule it's really challenging to create that buy-in for the athlete to actually get excited to take advantage of the resources. And that was one of the things I noticed then. And I really noticed now it's oftentimes not a lack of resource. It's just a lack of athletes actually taking advantage of the resources available to them. So they don't really see the value. It's like you could have the best product in the world, but if you don't know how to market it right, right. It's, it's not going to do anything. My favorite example is like Febreze. If anyone knows the story of Febreze, like when it first came out, they were like, 
the marketing was all about making your home smell better. The problem right. with that is it's really implying that your home smells bad. That's true. <laughs> and no one wants that. You know, no one wants to, you're not going to be caught buying Febreze then if the conception is going to be like, oh my gosh, Rob, your house smells bad. Why are you buying Febreze? But yeah. instead it was like, they shifted it to a place of like, make your house smell like daisies, make your house smell like a summer breeze. Yeah. That's cool. And it's like, yeah, of course my house doesn't smell like daisies or a summer breeze, but it's not weird if I buy that. And then all of a sudden, sure. like their marketing went through the roof. I think that's the same thing that we're seeing oftentimes in these athletic departments is they have great product. They have great programming and resources available to these athletes. They're just not well-versed on actually marketing it and enrolling that athlete in a way that creates that buy-in enough where they actually get excited to go to this. I can't remember. I don't think there was ever a time where I was actually excited to go to something that athletics put on during right. my time at Delaware. It was more like, okay, well, at least there's going to be Grotto's pizza there. And then <laughs> we'll go from there. Great place, by the way. <laughs> Great place. But after four years of them, like being the official sponsor of athletics, I was so tired of Grotto's pizza uh, by the uh, end. I'm sure. Yeah. So, and that's, I guess it's an interesting point because it's probably the case with most athletes across all sports is maybe not having the time or unfortunately not having the understanding because it's kind of, um, you know, the topic we'll cover in a minute about networking and connecting. And just, um, I think um, they just, you know, because you're consumed in your schedule, you're not thinking about it. And so there's needs to be ways uh, to, I think, enhance these programs. And um, one of, you know, one way, uh, you know, obviously I believe would be alumni. And so is there um, at Delaware, again, your more recent times now, is there a, a push for alumni to come back and interact with the athletes. And I'm not talking about like having, I know like the football team, the baseball team that might do golf outings, but are there athletes coming back and, and talking to the athletes about, again, maybe it's life after sports. I believe, I mean, that was part of the programming. So what I did with them last year, this is a funny story. They, they had brought me in to consult on the programming and then to help lead like a, a keynote presentation slash workshop. And as we're preparing for this, it was actually around this time last year, they give me a call a few days before and they go, hey, we're actually going to switch things up and go to a panel instead. And we, we want you to facilitate a panel. And in my head, I'm like, oh, thank God. That's like so much more my speed um, than for me to stand up in front of a room and talk for 45 minutes that's not my strength, but having done podcasting now for three years, I'm like, yeah, give me the microphone. I can steal the conversation. I can introduce topics and interview the, this panel. Great, done. Let's do it. And so that was the first time I think we had, we had five different alum, myself included, come in from various sports, from various age brackets as well, and different industries. So that was super neat to see. And I think there is a level of when it is an actual alum of that school, you're way more likely to actually care about it rather than just, we picked some speaker off the street. We threw him in front of you because he had a really good pitch. And now you're sitting to the, the most boring talk of your life for the next 45 minutes. Yeah. That's, you know, so we are getting, I'm seeing more engagement there and they're doing a good job of rotating through bringing in different alum as well and giving them that opportunity to speak, whether it be to subcategories of athletics like SAC, the Student Athletic Advisory Council, or individual teams, or like the athletics as a whole. No, that that's great. And I mean, I think that's, um, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do with our platform, Alumni Direct, is to you know have these these communities where it's it's all about the alumni. So it's just uh, I think to your point is just it's it's a difference when you're talking to alumni versus just maybe a, an expert on that subject matter that's coming in. Uh, you're going to listen more to the alumni um, than that. So to for them to be able to you know come into these communities and do that, I think is great. So um, looking at uh, a big hot topic now, and I know you probably get hit up with this a lot, and especially uh, you know being a, a newer graduate. Um, what's your thoughts on NIL and name, image, likeness? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, a wild west. It's calmed down a little bit, but 
uh, people just don't know how to um, really talk about it, right? And how to take advantage of it. There's no formal training, especially again, like when the athletics, when that ruling came out and the athletic department was like, okay, now what do we do? Um, it's like, okay, well, how do we actually bring this together um, in a way that makes sense for the athlete? How can they actually take advantage of this? And one of the things that I'm seeing with NIL as a whole is one second. We had maintenance coming in middle. That's why I'm like fumbling over my words. They're knocking on my door. Um, so NIL as a whole, the way that I see it, it's the wild, wild west of no one really knows what to do. Brands don't really know how much athletes are actually worth. Athletes have no idea how to actually market and pitch themselves in a way where they know their worth, right? We had Bryce Young, University of Alabama. He was a millionaire before he even took a snap for University Crazy. of Alabama, which is insane. But it like benefits the Bryce Youngs because he's a Heisman Trophy caliber uh, quarterback, one of the best in the nation. He's definitely going to play at the next level. How can what I want to see more of, truthfully, with NIL is how can like the me's, the the swimmers and the non-revenue generating sport athletes take advantage of this while they have extra eyeballs on them? And you can. It just takes a little bit more work. The swimming is not a sexy sport. I had once had a a family that I coached come and watch me swim. I swim the mile. They came and watched me swim. And their reaction afterwards was, Corey, you wouldn't believe it. My parking was up in the middle of your race. I had time to go put money in my meter and come back and you were still going. Oh yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like a 60 minute race. will do that to you. It's again, not the most exciting of sports. And I get that. And so for me to leverage my name, image, and likeness while I have the backing of a program like the University of Delaware or whatever on my side, I need to be able to highlight and showcase what do I do beyond the 16 minutes in the pool? Yeah. What do I do beyond whatever race I'm swimming that day? And we're starting to see that, I think, with like a, a friend of mine. She's our campus captain, actually, at uh, USC, Southern California. She's the the goalkeeper for uh, the women's lacrosse team, another non-revenue generating sport, but she does a great job of creating like game day style vlogs. And because of that personality, she's showcased really who she is, not just as an athlete, not just as a goalkeeper, but beyond that as well, they are then, she's able to land some brand deals with brands that otherwise would have no business doing business with her. Yeah. So one of the things that I see NIL going towards and what I think athletes really need to key in on here is while you have the backing of the university, while you have an, a, that legacy attached to you, right? The names on the back of the jersey, the names on the front of the jersey, you just have, by the nature of it, you have more eyeballs on you. People naturally care more about it. It's just the name of the game. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think um, it's... I talked to one guy as a former NFL player and he loves, you know, like he wishes it was around when he he played, of course, but his concern. And I think this is probably a lot of people is just everything that kind of wraps around it as far as the, the financial literacy aspect, like these, you know, these young athletes. And I always say this on each show, it's, it's not only young athletes, just young people in general, but not knowing that, Hey, guess what? You know, you got to pay taxes and you got to do this or that. Um, so it, it seems like it's great. Um, but I think you need, there needs to be some education around it too, which it sounds like, you know, whether it's the NCA or universities, not everybody's doing, but it sounds like some are starting to get into that as well. Yeah. I was about to say the education around it, I think is huge. Um, I mean, I see it on the creator side of things and the, the creator economy, which I, I view NIL is no different because it's right. leveraging people on social media and asking them to be a creator for a brand and represent them. But the ability there needs to be some more education around like how to actually read these contracts how to make it make sense like i've had some brands approach me to do deals i had one a few weeks ago i didn't even respond to the email because it was just so like such a bad deal they were like hey we want you to do seven videos for us 
and we'll pay you a hundred dollars. And I was like, what? Seven videos for a hundred dollars. <laughs> it doesn't seem like much. <laughs> I'm going to pay taxes on that. And like, what am I going to get? I'm going to get nothing yeah. out of this essentially. And seven videos. That's a lot. Like that's a, that's a, lot. a big ass. It's a large commitment. And unfortunately there's going to be a college kid that is a creator that is going to say yes to that. Right. And that's, that's a poor deal. That's a really bad deal. But if you're in a spot where you're just getting started and you're, I, I mean, I could look back at 19 years old and someone offered me a hundred bucks on a much different headspace of like, yeah, what do you need me to do? I'll take the hundred. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> that's going to, again, knowing your worth, especially right. as an athlete, you have all this backing, you have this name, you have this, this image and this likeness that you've worked hard to build. You got to protect it. You got to honor it. And by taking less than ideal deals, I think does yourself a disservice. And then also looking at the contract, the, what are these brands actually asking you for? Is it a one-off video or are they asking for like the raw footage of you making that video? And now they're going to distribute it for on all of their platforms. Right. What's that actually mean to you? Are what's the lifetime of them using your content? Are you giving them free rights to whatever you created to then run ads for the next five, 10 years? It's like my buddy who former hockey player in the creator space. Now, before he knew what he knew, he did a brand deal with this men's skincare company. And the running joke is like, this was three years ago. And I still see the same ads of him being run. And every time I'll screenshot it and send it to him, I go, Hey, look, like X brand is still using your image. He's like, dude, I wish I knew that I gave them lifetime rights. I would have charged them way more. Oh, sure. I mean, this brand is benefiting. This this guy in particular has grown from a few thousand to a few million across multiple platforms of his audience since the time of when it was created to now. So this brand got the best deal in the world because- Oh yeah. They, they paid him at a rate of a few thousand audience, but now because he gave them lifetime rights, they're still running this ad. And now millions of people know him and they're like, man, this is like, this is sweet. It was only a, a thousand bucks or what. I don't even know the exact number that he took yeah. back then, but that's the ins and outs. And that's the intricacies that I think a lot of athletes don't pause and think it's, it's about that like short-term satisfaction. I can get a thousand dollars. I can yeah. get a, hundred dollars and get twenty dollars now great but are they going to take advantage of that and leverage that for the rest of time especially if you're as an athlete building your personal brand yeah nature of the game is your personal brand just continues to elevate you got to keep that in mind oh, no no doubt so um couple uh one other topic kind of related to uh when you're when you were at school and just maybe know what they're doing today give me some thoughts on social media i mean we all know that uh, you hear these stories, especially going back to even like high school athletes and, and kind of saying different things. Um, do they have people at the school working with the athletes, kind of coaching them, you know, what to say, what not to say? I think, I mean, I can only speak to to my time there. I don't know on that sense what they're doing there now. But when I was there, the messaging was pretty much like, don't be on social media and right. don't post anything about like the team (laughs) or anything (laughs) of that sort. Right. They basically wanted you to just be like, you could show up online, you could post a picture like this is me and my friends, but don't be wearing Delaware swim gear if you're out at grottos or doing whatever. Right. And it was always more geared towards the lens of like, this could get you in a ton of trouble. Don't do this. Right. Whereas now it's so interesting and i think why a lot of athletes struggle with nil is we come out of a culture where the name of the game was don't post it online it's going to live forever to now it's like well if you want an nil deal you got to post it but what do you post yeah how do you do it how do you show up here do you how much behind the scenes do you actually give to like what it is going on i thought i mean some of my most interesting follows now on like TikTok and Instagram are these athletes like Benjamin St. Juice, who plays for uh, Washington Commanders. He's able to do like a get ready with me and behind the scenes of playing on Monday night football this past wow. week against the uh, Eagles. And 
he has his phone out in the locker room and on the field things that when I was in college were like big no-nos yeah like, no dude you can't record in the locker room you can't record on the pool deck um or take you know you get the the classic staged picture but outside of that you right. weren't really doing much um so to answer your question around the media training i don't know what they're doing now but back in the day a few years ago it was definitely like no social media is bad don't don't post on it yeah no it's it's i mean obviously it's changed i mean back back when i went to school it, it, social media didn't exist and even talking to another athlete you know younger but still in the same time frame is that you know talked about a story about you know partying the night before a game but back then like it, it wasn't all over the social media just like you know just hopefully the coach doesn't find out or if he does he's not too mad about it so or, or she's not too mad about it. so let's talk a little bit about um networking and connecting and, and this this has become a big topic i mean obviously from my perspective a little my direct that's what we're trying to do is help facilitate that but from an athlete uh, perspective, uh, do you, did you, or do you now kind of network with other alumni? Yeah, um, I try to. And what I realized is it has one, like, I think a bad rap to it. We talked about that earlier of um, kind of, especially alumni organizations. It's like, I only hear from Delaware. The only mail I ever get from Delaware isn't like a, Hey, how you doing? It's a, Hey, uh, what's that? check that you can write us type deal so it kind of has that negative connotation towards it and i think networking can be the same way Uh, it just takes one or two bad experiences that then you're turned off you're like why am i going to do this i'm never coming out of my shell again we're good it's like dating right like you get one or two bad dates doesn't mean you'll never date again yeah just take a break from it Um, because ultimately we're social beings and we need connection and that goes for networking as well. And I think there, what's interesting is when you're introduced to networking as a student athlete, I I think of the classic networking nights and I think of going there and kind of career development saying, Hey, you need to give your resume out to three. Like you need to correct, collect three business cards and it, it really became a like, let's go through the motion, check the boxes. I'm going to go to the first three things that I, I see. I'm going to hand in my resume. I'm going to talk about, I don't even know what, because no one actually taught us how to, how to talk about it. Right. And then I'm going to get their business cards and I'm going to leave because <laughs> yeah. I want more time back in my day. Whereas yeah. now I try to reserve at least one day of my week. Fridays is typically that day just because I, I, know this about myself i get to that later point i don't really want to sit and do a ton of computer work on fridays i'd rather be more social so that's my day where i do networking and i am grabbing coffee with people across the city that i'm in now in austin or i'm hopping on calls and i'm doing virtual coffee with other alumni or other former athletes as a whole and just hearing their stories hearing where they're at and then really learning to lead with how can I add value to them? And then if there's anything I can do to support them, great. I'll go make that happen and follow up. So that that's been like the progression of networking, but I think it really came from a space of, I had to learn that almost the hard way myself over the past few years here, rather than, again, I didn't take advantage of it while I was in it. One of the, the most key pieces of advice I have for, athletes in particular, especially if they're reaching out to alum, use your like school EDU email while you still have it, because you're going to be way like as an alum, I'm going to be way more likely if I see something come in with a udel.edu domain attached to that email, I'm way more likely to respond to, can I pick your brain for coffee? Sure. If I'm getting that from just a random Gmail or Instagram DM, I'm ignoring it 99.9% of the time because I don't have time to just be giving away and saying, yeah, yeah. Like let's sit and I'll, I'll tell you everything and anything that you need yeah. to know. That's what content and social media is for. I, I put all my information out on that. Right. So you can go pick my brain through my content. Um, but that's the progression I believe. And I think it is so valuable though, because when you are starting out, you do, you do need those connections to pick the brain of the people that are a few steps ahead of you. 
yeah. to then get to know like is this something i want to do is it not one of the best pieces of advice i would have for athletes would be while you're in it setting aside time to intentionally like network and intentionally talk with other people and say and like find out like if there's an area of interest that you're curious about go find someone who's in that field and ask them for 15 minutes of their time and you'll at least learn a little bit where you can then say is that worth me pursuing a little bit more they maybe they connect you to someone else and almost you go on a scavenger hunt of sorts yeah that's gonna be way more efficient than you sitting on a job board trying to figure out like what maybe this job sounds good uh, you meet half of those qualifications. Should you even apply? It's ideal. You never know. I mean, most of the stuff that I've gotten at this point has been a result of me knowing someone yeah. rather than I submitted a resume. I don't even know where my resume is. And <laughs> it's got to be up. It hasn't been updated in a few years. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, it, that's great advice. And and I always talk to people about that. Um, you know, like one thing I talk about, like, is, is if, um, if I'm interviewing, let's say five people and they all have the same credentials, if one went to Delaware, I'm going to hire that Delaware person. Uh, so um, it, it's the, the other thing too, is uh, I was talking to some agents and also uh, some coaches and um, we hit on it. You just hit on it there is that the best time to network and connect is when they're still playing, which, which you basically alluded to there, which I, I think is important. And hopefully athletes, you know, and maybe that's part of that whole training back to, you know, the curriculum at a school is just that that's part of the development is, is encouraging that and maybe hearing it from success stories from other, you know, alumni athletes from that school. Absolutely. I, th I think it's, it's so valuable. Well, again, while you have it, it's just, you have to realize the value of your time and look at it more as it's not, you're not spending it, but you're investing it into yourself and doing networking and doing this once you know where to start and, and how to do it well. I think that's the biggest differentiator, right? But it's no different than yeah. it it holds honestly the same weight, if not more, than you investing time by going into practice and you investing time by going to that meet or that game or yeah. that competition. It's the same deal. Now, this one it's just harder to see the value of it because it's early stages. Yeah. It's like you probably didn't see the value of showing up to that first practice ever for your sport when you were eight years old or seven years, whatever age you didn't see the long-term picture, but it, I guarantee it played it. It really paid you some dividends in the long run, right? Like if you're playing at that high level it obviously did networking is no different. You're just, it's early stages. So it's, hard to say, okay, I'm investing a dollar. I'm investing 15 minutes of my time into this. Right. And you won't see a return on investment probably until three years down the road. It's not that bad. Honestly, if you really think yeah. about it, you know, um, it just takes intentional effort. Yeah, no, it, it, absolutely. That, that's what, uh, you know, people just need to do that. I mean, even um, most athletes probably feel like, okay, well, they're playing their sport and they're going to continue on to be a professional athlete. And, you know, talking to one coach, I mean, and you know, from doing it, I mean, less than 1%, uh, you know, make it to that professional level. And even, even when they do, they're still going to have ultimately that transition out. So that kind of leads me to the next question is that, um, talk a little bit, um, you know, I, I said at the start of the show, uh, athlete transition is a major issue today. And, you know, whether it's mental health, whether it's just financial literacy or just other challenges, Talk a little bit about your transition out of sport and then it will ultimately lead to, you know, what you're doing today. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because when I went through it, I thought I was the only one that felt the way that I did. So it felt very isolating. So for context, I had a really good college career um, trajectory, which just kind of like kept going up freshman year. I was the CAA rookie of the year for Delaware uh, or on the men's side of things. That was the first time that's ever happened in Delaware's program history for swimming, which was cool. Um, and then sophomore year followed up even better. Junior year was right around those times. And then senior year, it was like, who is this dude? I was so far from when I started. My last ever race was slower than my junior year of high school. Wow. I just wanted to be like done with it. I was like, whatever, it's time to move on to the next thing. And the next thing in my eyes had always been physical therapy school. That was the route that I was going senior year of college or senior year of high school. I even had a half day so I could do internship hours because I knew 
then I needed internship hours to apply to grad school. So I, four years ahead of time, I'm getting these internship hours to make sure that I my resume is good, great, ready to go. And I would try to go and I would volunteer and intern there through the summers as well to, to boost that resume and get hands-on experience in this field. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought, there's no way that this doesn't work out. I've always had it figured out. I've always set the goal and it, the goal has happened. And so it was very humbling for me because I went from slowest race ever in college to two weeks later, all the rejection letters came in from all the universities, grad programs that I applied to. And I quickly realized that no one really cared in the grad school world how fast I swam from point A to point B if my GPA was a 2.9. That just was the name of the, the game at that point. And so I really had this moment where I looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, who is that dude? I don't recognize that guy. He doesn't have the answers. He doesn't have a next step figured out. I started this job search of trying to find what I what I wanted to do. And it was very much placed in this area of like, well, I'm going to go into sales because sales to me meant the fastest route to success because at that point in time, I defined success by monetary gain. Right. And I wanted to then, if I couldn't be the first of my, I couldn't be like the rest of my teammates who were going to get their PhDs and going to do this and that and other thing, I was going to be the first one to six figures because yeah. I don't know why. I just thought that was like the mythical breeding ground, you know, like you get to that promised land and all of a sudden all your problems go around away when you make six figures. Right. And I quickly learned that's not the case. Um, Cause I absolutely hated what I was doing. I was like eight months into, I was refinancing mortgages, doing cash out VA refinance. I was on a call center, wearing a suit and tie, going to work in the DC area, wearing a suit and tie in the middle of the summer. It's the worst. Right. It's so hot and humid. I was just sweating nonstop. I was sweating through my suits every day. I was like, this, there's got to be like more to this. I wasn't made to sit at a desk in a call center for 12, 13, 14 hour days. What else can I do? And I had no idea what else to do other than coach. So yeah. I quit that job and I took a summer swim coaching job. So I quit a full-time job to take a two-month seasonal job. On paper, it makes no sense, but <laughs> it was like what my heart was telling me what yeah. I wanted to do. And so I went and I started coaching. And what I noticed, like two weeks into coaching there, I was like, wait a second, there's this indoor pool that this country club has that I got this job at. It's four lanes. No one uses it. Like literally no one's ever in there. What if, I wonder if they would let me start a year round swim program there. And so I pitched the operational director and I said, Hey, you know, I, I know I got this two month job. Would love to be here full time. And like, that's the only way that I'm going to be able to commit to this program like year after year. I, otherwise, like, I don't know how to make it meet. Like, I don't know what other full-time job I can get. And then say like, Hey, from, <laughs> you know, June and July, I'm out. I got to go coach the summer swim program, but then I'll be back in August and I'm ready to go. Like yeah. most jobs don't hire you like that. He said, okay, fine. Like put together a business plan uh, and proposal and we'll talk about it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I got you. No idea what that means. So I go to Google and start to Google how to make a business plan. Oh, this looks pretty easy. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to figure this out. And sure enough, two days later, I came to him and with my business proposal and he's like, oh, that sounds great. Come to find out, he didn't really have like a ton of faith that this program would be like really big. He just said, like, go for it. He wanted me there for the summer. So he said, run, run with it. He even gave me terms that were like, I didn't even have to rent the space from the country. Wow, club. that's great. Said, this is yours. Like you get 100% of the proceeds, run it as your own business. You have no overhead. That's I was great. like, wow, as a, you know, newly business owner here, I guess, um, I don't know much about running a business, but no overhead sounds really, really good to me. That's a great really start. <laughs> I ran with it. And it, the irony was a year later, he like pulled me in and was like, so we didn't think that it would be making like the amount of revenue that you're making. Uh, we kind of want to get a cut of it now. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean, man? Like you can't go back on the original terms of the deal. And we were able to, to negotiate some stuff there that ended up working out and favoring both parties. But it was one of those like 
I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I just kind of listened to my heart and said, it will figure itself out. And that started this series of just every time I'm at this pivotal moment of I'm feeling lost, I don't really know what I want to do. I just take a second to pause and actually la- allow myself space for my my intuition, my heart voice, as I like to call it, to come up and actually get a seat at the table and speak. And then I can listen and I can say, okay, how do I feel about that? Do I get excited? Yeah, sure. Let's let's go try this out. And that's how we are here now, like five, six years later, is just a continuation of me listening to that. And that mission, that purpose has evolved over time. But what I realized, you know, throughout that whole journey, like when I was in that sales job, I was drinking really, really heavily, binge drinking on the weekends. Um, it was to a point where I learned very quickly that I, when I had swimming in my life, it provided just enough structure and boundaries to my behavior to allow me to not like go off the deep ends and yeah. like manage my stress in a, a productive way. Without swimming in my life, I learned very quickly that I needed some sort of boundary. Like I needed yeah. some sort of rule. I was great at following rules, but if I don't have any rules, I'm horrible at setting up my life. And I realized there's a lot of athletes that share that same sentiment. It's like they're great at going and showing up to where you needed them to show up and working their butt off. And yeah. they'll they'll do it until their body's broken and their mind is run literally to the ground. But if they don't have any direction of where to show up, they're just fumbling around in the dark. And yeah. they start to look at themselves in the mirror and they say, I don't know who that is. And that was that was my long story short that my journey over the past few years here was this ups and downs of battling alcohol, uh, binge drinking and body image issues and putting on 60, 50, 60 pounds within an eight month period when it first was over for me to losing that weight, to getting back in shape, to trying to find things that excite me again, that don't feel like work, but I actually want to go try this. I want to go try to run a marathon. And I wanted to go try this new obstacle course racing competition because it was different. It's unlike anything that I've ever done. And that was kind of the premise around forever athlete versus former. When I first ended that career, I was just looking at it as I'm here. I can't look at that anymore. I need to move forward. And I didn't like that because it, to me, it felt like Everything that I'd done up until that point in my life now no longer served a purpose. It didn't mean anything. And to some degree, yes, like it doesn't matter how fast I was in the pool. It doesn't matter how many records I set or accolades I won. But what does matter is the intangible skills that I obtained and sharpened through those experiences that I can and should feel empowered to apply to this next chapter it's just a continuation of my book and my story of what makes me me rather than it's like books over, sorry, done. (laughs) No, no room for rewrites here. And that was, it's it's, it's the sequels. It's a, and, and, and all of that is just, I mean, that's great advice. I mean, I just listening to that and kind of pulling out the different nuggets of, of the things that you're saying are, are are awesome because I think it's um, you seem like you, you, you took it. and, And I like the thing about just, you know, follow what's in your heart. And, and I think that's, you know, that, that can be like the, one of the number one advice to, you know, not only athletes, just people in general as they transition to different things. So um, kind of wrapping up, um, talk about um, what you're doing today with Forever Athletes and, uh, you know, tell us uh, all about it and, and how people can find you. Yeah. Well, with Forever Athlete, the main focus is creating this really wellness brand, this wellness company that centers the athlete experience around community content and coaching and making life coaching accessible to the people that actually need life coaching. That was the other thing at at 22 years old with not really a dollar to my name. I could have used life coach knowing what I know now about the life coaching industry. There's no way I could have afforded a life coach for like $10,000, like this makes no sense. I want to make it as accessible as possible for people that need it. And that's why with forever athlete, we created this monthly membership. It's less than your Netflix subscription and it's all content and access to a peer group that really gets you as an athlete understands you, your story, where you've been, where you're going 
and provides you the resources that you need to say, okay, you might not be where you want to be today, but you can make a change. You can make a decision today that then drastically changes the trajectory of your future from here. And you got a peer-to-peer support system that allows you to do that as you go. And then through that, we do a, a bunch of different events and experiences. I found probably like yourself, I'm a hands-on learner. I love yeah. to be thrown through things where I can actually tangibly feel a difference. And so we do a bunch of events like away games, which are our four-day retreats where we're going out to San Diego in March and we're going to do personal development workshops. We're going to do workouts and we're going to give the athletes a do-over of that travel experience where they can actually be immersed in the local culture rather than just going to a city, playing their sport, staying at the hotel, and then right. leaving. that do-over feeling towards it. And then we'll do smaller one-off events, like we're doing a, a turkey bowl uh, flag football tournament here in Austin next week. The goal of that is like, I'm not traveling for Thanksgiving, and I know a lot of other people that aren't providing them some sort of sense of community and home and That's feeling great. a family here um, while they – or it might be thousands of miles away from home. And that's the whole goal is just helping athletes feel seen, heard, understood, providing them a home that they feel valued in life post-sport. Their name still matters. They're, they still have value. They still have worth. And just thousands, hundreds of thousands of people might not be cheering your name on Sunday and that's okay. Right. You can move on and still feel confident. You don't have to go through that, that lull and you don't have to do it alone. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about. I mean, it's just, it's people need, uh, you know, athletes need that positive experience and just knowing that they're not, you know, they're not alone in this. Like you said before, you kind of felt like you're alone and it's great that the things that you're doing with forever athlete and how do, um, how do people find you? Yeah. Well, Rob, I, I appreciate you just having me on the space first and foremost. Thank <laughs> you. Cause I love what you guys are doing here with alumni direct and the show if people are interested in finding more of me, they can connect with me on Instagram. It's just at Corey Camp, C-O-R-Y-C-M-P. And then uh, the website is foreverathletesocialclub.com that has membership. It's got all the events. It's got everything in one place. So if people want to learn more about it, um, go poke around on the interwebs. I'm happy to answer any questions and connect with anyone. My, my door is open for former athletes. Happy to let you pick my brain and, and grab some coffee. Uh, that sounds great. I mean, it's a, you know, we, we really appreciate you having on and just a lot of good insight. Always love the, the fellow blue hens. Uh, as far as alumni direct, you can find us on alumnidirect.com and you can follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all that. And then our show athletes, entrepreneurs, the alumni journey can be found on uh, any podcast network as well as uh, YouTube too. And uh, again, I really appreciate your time, Corey, and look forward to continuing the conversation. Of course, Rob. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.